two pretty unique stories uh, with you guys tonight. Um, and I, uh, I like these two particular stories because they are about Jesus. And what ends up happening in both stories is that uh, there is a particular emotion that is evoked in Jesus, okay? And the Bible teaches us that he is amazed by the response of people. Now, this is kind of unique because we hear throughout the, all the four Gospels of many different uh, stories where people are amazed with him and with all the things that he's able to do. Uh, but very rarely do we actually hear about him being amazed. And um, there are actually two stories in particular uh, where he's amazing. And I'm going to share both of them with you. And we're going to take a, a look at some of the key points from them and try and uh, dive a little bit more into the context of what was there uh, so that we can, uh, we can learn something more about what these verses have to offer than what's on the surface. Okay? Uh, so if you guys are taking notes, uh, we are going to be talking about the topic of amazing Jesus tonight. So amazing Jesus. All right. So let's go ahead and pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time of fellowship. Thank you so much for this time of learning. Lord, we pray right now and we ask that you would open our hearts, open our ears and our minds to what you are about to say to us. Lord, we pray and we ask that you would, uh, that you would speak directly into us and help us to see what you would have us to know. And um, Lord, we pray and, and we just ask that you give us, um, give us ears to hear it and uh, give us the heart to apply it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, the first story we're going to take a look at tonight is coming out of Matthew chapter 8, and uh, we're going to be looking at verse 5. And the Bible says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Verse 8, it says, But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come to my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Amen. So there's a couple of, uh, there's a couple of really key things to note uh, about these verses um, that really tend to shed some light on why this particular set of verses is so unique. All right. And the first thing uh, that I wanted to show you guys and if you bring up the first point, Kari, first thing I want to show you guys is that this was a, a Gentile Roman officer. Now, on the surface, that doesn't necessarily mean that much. But if you look at the times, okay, at this particular time in history, Israel was under, was under Roman occupation, okay? So the Roman, gov the Roman government was out on an imperial quest to go ahead and take over the world. And one of the, the areas that they had occupied at this time was Israel, okay? And, um, you know, if, if you know anything about the uh, 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 
the relations between the Jewish people and the Romans at that time, it was very tense, okay? Because these Roman guards, they basically came in in battalions and they took over in these towns and these cities and they entrenched themselves in a way that was very disrespectful. They were very, uh, they were very controlling. They were overbearing. They were very oppressive, okay? Not only uh, physically to the people, but also in forms of like taxation, okay? So the Jews hated the Romans, all right? So it's kind of interesting that we see this one Gentile Roman officer coming to Jesus and asking for something. You know, because it's like, well, uh, this guy, you know, he, he could have went and sought help from anybody, any one of these, uh, any one of these mediums, any one of these, um, these soothsayers, or, um, you know, he, he could have went and sought help from any one of them. But he chose to go to Jesus, all right? And this was very odd. So I think when we take a look at this story, and we see how Jesus responds to him, okay, uh, there's something really key to note here, all right? So let's take a step at and take a look at the, the next one here, all right? Because this wasn't just a Gentile Roman officer. This particular officer was very different from most of the other officers because he recognized the supernatural authority of Jesus, Okay? Because when we take a look at verse 6, it says, Lord, my young servant lies in bed. Okay? And when we take a look at verse 8, it says, but the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy. Now, we don't generally use the word Lord all that often in our everyday vernacular. So the meaning of the word is kind of lost on us. All right? But let me give you the the Greek definition of, of the word Lord. Okay, the, the Greek word is actually a, ro- a word called kordios, okay? And if you look inside the Greek lexicon, it says that the definition of this means that is a supreme in authority, okay? So here we have this Gentile Roman officer that is calling Jesus this supreme authority. Now, at this time, if... Any other Roman officer would have heard him say this. This would have been heresy because these guys reported to Caesar. This guy would have been surely killed for saying something like that. But he came to Jesus and he tells him twice, Lord. He calls him twice by that title, recognizing his divine authority. Okay? Let's take a look at the third point here. Uh, he calls Jesus Lord twice, and then he does something really peculiar because he humbles himself to make a request of Jesus. If we take a look at verse 5, it says the officer came and pleaded with Jesus. He didn't just come and ask Jesus, and he wasn't just like, hey, man, I heard you can do some healing. Um, You know, would you go ahead and heal my servant? No, he came and he pleaded with Jesus, meaning he had to accept the fact that none of the modern-day medicine at that time was going to be able to heal his servant. 
Nobody, he, nobody else that he could have possibly sought that was in his sphere of influence could have helped. But he went to Jesus and he pleaded with him. He set himself in a place of humility and said, you know what? I need to come and seek your help because I know you're the only one that can do it. Okay? So not only does he do this here, but he also comes in verse 8. And he says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you in my home. Now, this is after Jesus had already said, I'm going to come and heal him. Okay. He told me he was going to come to his house and heal him. He said, no, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Okay. And then he says, just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. You want to talk about putting your trust in somebody? You want to talk about really uh, uh, just giving it all to God? He was like, look, you don't even have to come to my house. Just speak the words. I believe it when you say it, and it's going to be done. Okay? So he put himself in such a position when he recognized Jesus in his divine authority, and then on top of that, he humbled himself. Not once, but twice. Okay? So, after this happens, then it says that Jesus, and I didn't throw this in there, but it says that Jesus uh, turns to the people who were following him, and I'm assuming this was the disciples uh, or maybe some other people that have been following him for healing, but he turns to him and he says to them that he was amazed because no one in all of Israel had demonstrated this kind of faith. And that to me is an indictment above all others because it's like of all the people that believed in you at the time, of all the people that didn't believe in you at the time, this man who was a non-believer, who was non-respected by any of the Jews, ends up demonstrating the most faith out of everybody in the land. How's that possible? But he did. And in a minute, we're going to find out exactly how that happened, okay? Or why that happened, I should say. All right, so keep those things in mind, and let's go ahead and pivot. We're going to go to uh, Mark chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 1. Because now this particular story is about how Jesus returned to Nazareth, and uh, as you're going to see in a minute, he goes and he's teaching, um, and we're going to see what happens then. All right, so verse 1 says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. Next, The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom? and the power to perform such miracles. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his, own, among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. 
and he was amazed at their unbelief. Hmm. So here's a couple of key things to note from this. First things first, uh, the Jews from his own town actually were amazed by Jesus. He first came, he spoke in the synagogue. They were amazed by all the stuff that he was able to do, all the wisdom that he displayed, all the, the, the supernatural powers. But here's the problem. See, they saw these things, okay, but they were just looking at them on the surface, okay? And the problem is that when you just look on the surface, you can miss things that are a lot deeper, all right? So while they recognized that he had wisdom and supernatural power, they didn't recognize his divine authority, which is what the Roman soldier did, okay? So the Roman officer called Jesus Lord twice, and in that moment, he recognized his divine authority. But these people who knew Jesus from birth, these were people in his own hometown. They knew Jesus like, oh, yeah, he used to grow up across the street, right? They knew Jesus from birth. Heard him teach in the synagogue, saw the miracles, saw the supernatural powers that he displayed, and refused to believe in him. Refused. Now, understand that. They refused to believe in him. It wasn't just like, ah, well, he didn't show me enough, so I can't believe in him. No. They saw more than the Roman officer did. And he believed in Jesus. So let's find out why. Let's take a look. Uh, next point. It says, uh, next point was that even though they knew Jesus, they refused to accept who he currently was. Okay, and if we look at verse three, we'll see why it says they scoffed. He is just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph and Judas and Simon. His sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. They looked at the relationship that they saw from him in the past. More than they could accept the reality of what was happening to them in the now. And in that one brief moment, because they couldn't get over, they couldn't accept, something in their head just wouldn't make the shift. Instead of embracing him as who he said he was in the now, all they could do was run off of the rap sheet of who they knew him to be in his past. And isn't that just like people? You go and you get saved. And now you go and try and tell some of your family members about Jesus, and they, they're, like, they're looking at you like, what? You're a Christian now. Oh, so now you're high and mighty. Now you're better than me. I know you. I know, I know who you used to be. Last week, we was drinking out of the club last week. I know you, right? But that's not who you are in the now, but they don't want to see that. They told him, He's just the, the he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. They ran down to him his rap sheet about who they knew him in his past, instead of accepting him who he was in the moment. 
And just like that, they missed heaven. Just like that. Because they couldn't set aside the fact that he was someone different now. And this is our testimony as Christians, right? Now we're Christian, and now we're learning more about the Lord. Now we're, uh, we're growing in our spirituality, and now we are, so, we are so different than who we were. Now when we come to people, they don't even recognize us past who we were. But we still got to keep living for the Lord. So they refused to believe, okay? Um, and like I said, that's where they ended up missing heaven, okay? Let's switch to the next point. Their unbelief ends up negating all of his power. Because if we take a look at verse 5, it says, and because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. <laughs> this is funny to me because this isn't just uh, people who claim to know Jesus. This is, this is all non-believers, really. Um, and it's just interesting to me because like, we know Jesus, right? Like, if, if you've been Christian for anything more than a week, like, you know something about Jesus that confirmed that, you know, I, I'm wrong. I need to start walking with him, okay? And guess what? We still end up doing this. We still do this. We put God in the box, and we say, you know what? I got these big problems and in that statement, we say that we have a little God because we put him inside this box and say, well, God, you know, I know you saved me, you know, the worst sinner of all time, but you can't take care of these bills. I don't know if I can trust you enough to, you know, give my other family member salvation. So I won't pray for it as much. Or, uh, you know what, God, I, I struggle with this alcoholism thing for such a long time. It's just my crutch. This is what I do, right? So I don't know if you can deliver me from it. But when we do that, it doesn't make us any better than this. They handicapped him because of this one word right here, unbelief. And the problem is that just like the Roman soldier had faith. These people chose unbelief. They chose not to believe in him. Okay? They saw the miracles. They saw him teaching in the, the synagogues. They understood that he had far more wisdom than he did when he was a kid, but they chose not to believe. What do you not believe in God for today? I mean, seriously, if you, if you had to be honest about it and, uh, you know, you had to, uh, to lay out all of your problems on the table in front of you and, and say, God, this is what I am struggling with right now. Uh, and you had to be honest and say, well, these things I think you can take care of. These things, uh, I'm not so sure. I mean, be honest. Because here's the thing. And this is the last 
thing I'm going to talk about for this right here. If you don't believe, you can guarantee it ain't going to happen. You can guarantee it. We see the example right here. It says he couldn't do. Not that he wouldn't do it. It says he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few of the sick people and heal them. He couldn't do it. Why? Because of this unbelief. But again, this comes back to a choice. It all comes back to a choice. So I'm going to come full circle with this and, and just give you guys a couple of things to take away from this. All right. So the first thing is both faith and unbelief revolve around this thing right here. Choice. We all have a choice to make in our faith. Whether we're going to trust God enough for today, to get us through today, to get us through this hard work day, to get us through dealing with our kids and their nonsense, to get us through dealing with our coworkers and the nonsense they're going to come at us with. Okay? I mean, Joyce and I see that enough. Uh, <laughs> but the deal is, are we going to trust him or not to help supplement us where we can't do anymore? Okay, there's only so much that we can do in our own power before we just break down and we're like, you know what, God, I just got to throw my hands up. I can't do it anymore. I'm going to need you to take over. When the real deal is, we probably should have just taken our hands off the wheel anyway and just been like, look, God, do whatever you're going to do, and then I'm just going to take your guidance on it. That's where we should have been to start. But now that we have already started to try and handle our own problems, we might as well just be like, you know what, God, I realize that I can't do this thing on my own. I'm going to need you to take care of this. Better to do that than to keep trying to drive this thing off the cliff and hope that it flies. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just so interesting to me because the Roman officer, he chose to humble himself and to seek Jesus. And the Nazarenes, they chose to reject him. And in that, in, in both of those instances, it came down to what they wanted to see. The Roman officer wanted to see his servant healed, okay? And he put his faith in Jesus. The Nazarenes didn't want Jesus to be that divine authority, so they rejected him as the Messiah. And in both instances, they both got what they wanted. In both instances, they both got what they wanted because they made a choice. Our choice always needs to land on the side of faith. That's what got you here as a Christian today, is that you put your trust in Jesus to do something for you, to save you from something, to deliver you from something. If we forget that one key, that one key thing, our faith goes out the window. We have to make that choice every day, every hour, every minute, every moment. Because when we stop doing that, we start to lean towards the other side. And unbelief will negate all the blessings if you allow it to take over. Next point. We need to know Jesus in the now. 
And this is so important. You know, we talk often about how important it is that we are continually in the word, that we are continually praying, that we are continually seeking his face because God is a rewarder of, of those who diligently seek him, right? Listen, as believers, our testimony should never be that we know enough about Jesus that we stop getting to know him. We ought to never have that sort of complacency when it comes to our spirituality. That is the danger of complacency. I taught, uh, I taught the youth uh, a couple weeks ago um, about some of the sins that are so very subtle in our lives that it's hard to spot them. It's hard to see them. And one of them is complacency. Uh, the others are pride and laziness. Because here's the deal. You don't have to do anything for those things to take over. You don't have to do a single thing, and those things can take over in your lives. But you have to do something in order for you to demonstrate faith. You have to put your trust in Jesus in order for that faith to take over. You have to remember the things that God has done for you in order for that faith to have some feet to it. Okay? Last point. We can't allow our unbelief to hinder our relationship with Jesus. So many people, so many people take for granted that God is active in every single area of all of our lives. And the problem is that we end up getting into this cycle of just getting up and going and stepping out into our day and saying, I have to drive to work because I have to be here by a certain time. I have to treat a certain amount of patients or I have to do this. I have to do that. We start getting I, 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 I focused that we forget to address him. And he needs to be the focus of our day when we start it. He needs to be the focus of our interactions that we have with people. Because ultimately, we're commanded to share Jesus with everybody, whether or not we speak words to them or not. And how do you communicate best with people? I, I, uh, I heard a, a report one time that said that only about 7% of communication is actually based on the words that come out of your mouth. The other 93%, body language and intonation of how you speak. So if 93% of what we say is actually nonverbal, what are we giving off to people in our interactions, okay? Are we showing people God's love by the way that we treat them? You know, because you can say, you can tell somebody, God bless you, but your heart ain't in the right place. And, you know, they're looking at you like you're being cynical. And that didn't show God any, any, any glory, any honor, any praise by what you said. Because your body language wasn't right. Your body language didn't say, God bless you. Your body language didn't say, I love you. Your body language didn't say, Jesus loves you. 
Ultimately, we need to be about giving him praise by the things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we even think. If we don't, we miss the point. I'll tell you this, you know, we hear so many stories about uh, tough situations in people's lives and, excuse me, I know that things get tough, <coughs> excuse me, um, but like I said before, as believers, we ought to know enough about what Jesus has already done the things that he is currently doing in order to have faith for the things that we are trusting him to do in the future. Because the reality is, Jesus said that apart from him, we can do nothing. And, I mean, I've given you guys enough examples tonight, but how often do we try and do it of our own accord? Do we try and walk this thing called faith out without putting him first? You know, um, I think it's uh, Hebrews 11, chapter 6, that says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Our testimony our purpose in life needs to be that we want the things that we do, the things that we think, the things that we say to please him. If we know by his word that it says it's impossible to do that without faith, what is the one thing that we absolutely need to do? We have to put our faith in him every day, every hour, every minute, every moment. If we don't, we're going to miss the point. Last thing, and then we'll, we'll kind of close up shop. There's a story. Um, there's a story that's told in the book of Mark, and I think it's in chapter 9, and it talks about uh, a father who brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples for them to heal him or deliver him uh, from being possessed. And um, he ends up approaching Jesus, and he tells Jesus about what happened, and he makes a rather peculiar request from Jesus, and he says, you know, if you can, please heal my son. And Jesus' response to him was, if I can, then he tells him, if you can believe, then your son will be healed. And right on the, off the heels of that, the guy tells him something that I, I think is very, uh, very close to what we're talking about tonight. And the guy says, I do believe, but please help me with my unbelief. I do believe, but please help me with my unbelief. Listen, I know it's not easy to walk this thing called faith out, but when we don't have enough faith, we need to be able to turn to Jesus and say, you know what, I know that I don't have enough faith, but I need you to help me with this thing called unbelief. I need you to help me walk this thing called faith out. 
because I don't have it all. I'm trying to put my trust in you. I'm trying to believe, but something's just coming up short. God, please help me to do this thing the right way. That was his plea to Jesus on behalf of his son. Jesus ended up healing his son. But Jesus would not have done that if he would not have fully committed his faith to believing. And that's where we need to be. If I were to go around the room tonight and just ask people, give me one problem that you're believing God to solve for you tonight. And we were to just go row by row. I'm sure in this room full of people, we'd have more than enough testimonies and more than enough problems to serve up on this altar and burn it from here to kingdom come. But we need to come back to the very basics of answered prayer, and that starts in faith. We got to be able to demonstrate that faith that says that, you know what, God, I can't see it, but I believe you for it. And I know if, if, if healing doesn't come right now, it will come on the other side because you promised that. Okay? I know that my bills, no, they're not going to take care of themselves, and you're going to have to provide somehow because I don't have all the answers, and I'm going to let you work it out. Okay? You know, you're going to have to turn to God and say, look, I got this wayward child that's driving me out of my mind, and if I'm left up to my own devices. He's going to be in your hands sooner than he'll be in mine. Okay? So I'm believing by faith that you're going to straighten him out before I kill him. Real real, or unreal? Okay. Like I said, it's not easy. Jesus never promised it would be easy. But he did say that he wants us to put our faith in him. And that's where we need to be. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, again, this time of fellowship and learning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to be reminded of the fact that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for showing us the examples that Jesus was amazed by. And in each case, showing us where people went right and where people went wrong. Lord, help us. Give us the strength. Give us the faith. Give us the intentionality to walk this thing out by faith and show us where we need to go. Show us the things that we need to do. Give us the words to speak in order to prove that faith in you. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you're doing, all that you've done, and all that you ever will do in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.